Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, Dead or Dennis Maller, interviews artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And before we get into today's program, real quick, uh, I just have to tell you, there is a lot of things on the works that are going to be pretty big for So What Do You Really Do? and for myself. So for those of you who are returning listeners, thank you so much for all your support over the years. If you've listened to every episode or two episodes or three or a dozen, however many, you keep coming back. Thank you so much. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, what I'm going to ask both of you groups of people uh, is to please tell somebody about the podcast. Leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening to this on currently. Tell some friends about it. Tweet about it. Post it on Facebook. It's going to go a real long way to the plans that we have coming up that I can't talk about yet, but I will soon, probably by the next episode, I'll be able to tell you what's in the works. But we have a lot of really great guests upcoming soon. So there's going to be some amazing episodes in coming. Um, so please, for the, for, the, for, for, helping, for the sake of me and my guests, please review, comment, rate it on whatever platform you listen to it on. Or please tell some people about it. Uh, we are really working hard. All of me and my guests work really hard at what we do. And it would uh, be very disappointing if their efforts were uh, would not bear fruit. So that's what we're here for, is to give you all interesting stories while supporting the things that we do. So we thank you so much for your support and your continual support by telling people about the podcast, by either telling them in person, face-to-face, in real life, or leaving a comment on your favorite platform that you're listening to this podcast on, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, whatever you listen to this on. If you leave a comment on any of the episodes, it's going to be huge for me and my guests. So now that that's over with, and can't wait to tell you about the big news soon. As much as I can't wait to tell you about today's guest is Philip Wilborn. Uh, Philip and I met through Clubhouse during the pandemic. He is just a guy who's floating around uh, some of the same comedy rooms that I was on Clubhouse and just by being funny and uh, interacting and both of us having good, interesting stories. Like he works in the entertainment business. Literally, he's in L.A. He is a regular, uh, you know, performer uh, for sketches on Jimmy Fallon, uh, not Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel. I always get those Jimmy's mixed up. If you listen to the Wayne Fetterman episode, I did not take out the fact that I said the wrong Jimmy was the show that he wrote monologue jokes for. And uh, you know, I'm going to leave that in too, because I'm human and I make mistakes. I try not to, uh, but they happen. I'm not great with uh, distinguishing between two comedians, both named Jimmy that have late night shows. But anyway, Phil has been great. He's an amazing impressionist uh, and a wonderful, nice human being. Uh, He works in TV. He's worked in radio voiceover movies, TVs. Uh, He's been an amazing uh, talent of a person. And, I was so glad to have him on the show. He has some really great, funny, interesting stories that I'm not going to wait any longer to tell you about and let you just get right into it. So please enjoy my conversation with comedian, improviser, voiceover artist, and actor, Philip Wilburn. So let's open up with the Clubhouse because that's how we met. That's how we know each other. And um, I've talked to a lot of people who like, tried Clubhouse and just like, it's not for me. I don't like it. You know, for me, the only reason that I continue to come back is because, and what kept me in using the app was uh, the big comedy network, you know, not to suck up to them or anything, but 
it's really the warmth and like the, the companion and like the friendship and the community that they fostered and the people are part of it is what I wanted to be continuously coming back to, you know, laugh factory had a thing and that really felt like the cool kids in school that didn't like anybody else, you know, like, Oh, we're the, we're the good looking people. We don't need to talk to you pledges. Like, I think we were the good looking people. I think that's the truth. I think we were the good looking people that, that was the, that was the real deal. You know what was interesting about Clubhouse for me was that was at a I got into Clubhouse uh February of 2021 and my manager called me she goes, "Hey, there's this new thing called Clubhouse. We're doing a lot of industry meetings. You need to get on this app. You definitely need to be on this app." So, I said, "All right, I'll do it." And I went to a room she was in and there were a lot of people going Oh my God, that's so great. I love that information. Could I piggyback off of that by saying headshots are so important because headshots <laughs> are the greatest way. Oh my God, can I piggyback off of that? Because I love different looks in headshots. And so like I stayed in there for about 15 minutes and I couldn't take any more. So I started a room <laughs> called, can I piggyback off of that? And it literally <laughs> was just an improv game of us doing piggyback room just saying piggyback off of that and then then it turned into like oh could i uh swan dive off of that could i uh nickel back off of that and it was just so <laughs> funny and it turned into about a, a three hour improv session that was so awesome with people around the world and i was like oh my god i'm completely addicted to this thing so because it was just like having your sketch community but you know we couldn't go anyplace so with the innovation of that, I started meeting people on Clubhouse and I loved it. I thought it was so fun and just started developing different things. I did a lot of Trump. I would do a whole room where I would do Donald Trump and people would ask me questions and it would be crazy. And I would be, you know, I was the first one to be doing that kind of weirdness on that and on that app. There's a lot of people that do it now, but uh, not so much now, now that the app is kind of waning, but but yeah, for a while there was people like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So yeah, it was really fun. I loved it. And then we just started developing actual shows for it, like Impersonation Nation, which is just a tribute to impressions and people that are impressionists doing their impressions. And then we did um, uh, Impression Idol, which was just American Idol, but with people doing impressions and singing. And then uh, Bring It, Nikki Bernal came up with this idea for a game show called Bring It. That was the best. That's one of the best things I've ever done on 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 Clubhouse. I love it. Uh, it's so fun. It's an interactive game show, making people change their PTRs from pictures they found on the web to uh, pictures in real life. And you, Dennis, are one of the kings of this game. Oh, keep going. Uh <laughs> <laughs> You really are. No, you I mean, really I are. do you're love always, it. Like, not, you're always not in between places. Not to like suck places. up to you. Like, I love it. It's so innovative and so original. You know, you and Nikki work so great together. And I just, you know, the first time you guys did, or at least the first time I walked into the room, you know, just to be supportive of Big Comedy Network and all that stuff and you guys and stuff that I've seen around, you know, especially I was seeing Nikki a lot more in those things than I was you until, uh, until PTR. And I was just like, all right, cool, whatever. It's a game show. And then. You know, I, I, after a couple of questions, like, all right, I'll play from the audience. I really don't want to be involved. I'm, I'm on a bus. I'm on a subway coming home from, from trivia. Uh, and like, then I got into it. I was like, oh, you know what? This is a lot of fun. And then, you know, obviously as time progressed, I, I went so, uh, I, I've, I've tried to make 
you know, everything I'm trying to make the joke, not even like playing straight. It's just like, I don't even care if I win. I just want to make everyone else laugh. And I'm trying oh to my do God. the and most you do every single time. Like, I can Just do. your ideas of, you know, like some people are in their house and they go full on. Like we make people dress up mm -hmm. like things. We make people find things in their house. But you always manage to be in the ballpark of what we're looking for, even if you're on a bus or subway or like I remember one time we had something about a, I think it was about gas prices and you were at a gas station or something. <laughs> so I, like, I got off the bus to get at this gas station. So, I got a, a whole stop early just so I could run into this gas station. <laughs> and also, to be honest, I do play a lot of things up uh, just for the craziness of it. Like the, you know, uh, the most recent one we did was, uh, you know, barefooted uh, tattoo, fa face tattoo guy screaming and yelling, swinging. And right. there was a guy with like his shoes half off and face tattoos and kind of talking to himself. But I played that up so much bigger than it was because, you know, we, we heighten things in the comedy business. You got to heighten it all. You got to heighten it all. And, and one thing that's really weird was like um, when Nikki and I would play, we don't do it as much anymore, but when Nikki and I would play it and we would do the thing in the middle where I would go find something, I literally I would go it. do it live. So people could Love see that how bit. to do Love it. Love that bit. Yes. And I, um, I tried to last on the last one when you were doing it with Mike and Stacey, I was trying to get those like, Hey, hey, hey can one of you guys explain uh, how to do this round? Like anybody? I know. Please? I know. Uh, I felt like, I felt like we got started so late and those guys did appreciate it. Yeah. And it was always something to try to make Nikki laugh or try to do something to annoy Nikki. So that was kind of, <laughs> it, it kind of had its, uh, its own purpose of it. It, it had its own, um, moment of its own but yeah i loved it i loved it it was such a fun ridiculous bit for sure yeah and it's like i just love that interactiveness of it like creating stuff that because Catherine always keeps reaching out to me and she's like hey dude you're funny do you want to do a show on here and i'm like i don't really have any ideas i also don't have the time to devote to it like you know i'm, I'm hosting trivia three nights a week i'm trying to get through comedy a couple nights a week i'm also working sound at comedy clubs uh was at the time no longer uh th that's a good thing by the way uh, yeah. I'm no longer involved with that one club, but the, uh, I just don't have the devote. The only concept that I have is like, I created a few years ago, a trivia game, um, because I host trivia, but it was a trivia game called at the time, you know, comedians in bars hosting trivia. Um, I have now since going to change the name to, I didn't know that, which is a great Monty Python reference. Oh, I love that. But the, uh, right. Uh, so the, uh, the, basically it's trivia bar trivia hosted by two comedians. And each round's a different style of trivia. It's like standard bar trivia, family feud trivia, visual round. And then like the fourth round, the co-host, it's a different co-host each show, the co-host comes out and does stand-up. And then your questions for that round are based on the stand-up you just heard. That's awesome. Yeah. And that, that, that keeps people paying attention to the comedy. It's more of a show. We give out zinger prizes. Like, you know, every, every, instead of just giving out answers, we have members of the audience come out and give us their answer. We you know, crowd work and make fun of them for their wrong answers and stuff like that. And then we give everybody a prize. Some prizes are like drink tickets. Some prizes are zonk prizes, you know, like here's a jar full of pennies, you know, just dumb shit just for the interactiveness. And I was like, I would love to bring that to clubhouse, but it's, you know, it, I, I can't keep up with it. So anyway, that's that on that. I'm glad to help you figure out how to do it because I could, I could tell you how to do it. Uh, bring it is really interesting in the sense of, uh, it is, it is 11 questions. It's 11 questions. And those are the, that is my, I, I, I write the questions the day of or day before. Like sometimes I, like this like past week, I was finishing them up right before we finished. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Cause I was actually working as well. But, but 
it's 11 questions and you just fill in the blank. So once you get the template down of what you're doing, you know, it, it definitely helps. Um, and I will say, um, for your show, uh, so we did a show at the IOS in, in Hollywood called, um, we, we, it was called late night explosion and it was a cross between Conan and the Larry Sanders show. And it was a great show. And it was the most, it was one of the most fun I've had doing live on stage shows. And I kind of played the rip torn character and my buddy okay. Doug, uh, he played, uh, he played the host, but he was always kind of disheveled. He was just kind of, he was more of a producer, but he wanted to be the host of this show. So it was like, so I was kind of the galoo that would kind of hold it together and, and lead and do stuff. But anyway, point is, um, um, he got bored with it because it was a different show every week. It was, he was, he would like, instead of doing the same show, like he would get bored. It like, I was like, this show is goldmine. People come to see it. And he would try to change it every single week, different segments, different, this, different, that, blah, blah, blah. And so once you figure out the format of what it is, you know, just lock it, lock it in. And then if you have something special like star Wars, you know, may the fourth or whatever, you could change something out. But lock in that format of what you want to do and then just do it every week until you get it down or get a team and then, you know, move it from there. I'd be glad to help you with it because I think it would be awesome. And it's a great idea, especially the I love the part where you bring in a comedian and uh, you have to do stuff off listening to them and, and what they say. Yeah, and the reason that came about is, like, you talk to some people, and they're like, oh, pub trivia people, they don't pay attention. If you do stand-up there, they're not going to pay attention. I'm like, well, they have to pay attention because their questions are based on paying attention. And, of right. course, the show is more for comedy fans than it is, you know, trivia people. Trivia people want to come, you know, because some people get really hardcore about trivia, and they're annoying. Um, I have some – I've been blessed at all my trivia places to have, like, some of the coolest, nicest people that care more about the fun than they do winning or losing, and – not to tip my, not to toot my own horn, but the, what I aim for and what people keep telling me is that the second best thing about coming to trivia is just watching you host. Like even at some of my locations, people refuse to play every week, but they sit there and they listen. They're like, dude, you're just fun. And that's what I aim for is fun, not trivia. So, but speaking of uh, going on the subject of you talking about work, um, actually let's go before work uh, because you, you're, you've already talked about your impressionist. Uh, so when did you realize that you can do these impressions? Cause it's always a thing that so many people are like, Oh, I'm really good at this voice. And then you hear him, you go, no, you're not good at that voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started doing it when I was a little kid. Uh, my dad loved watching Westerns. So, and I'd see like rich little on TV doing John Wayne and stuff like that. And we watched like reruns of like, um, bewitched and stuff like that. So I would like do John Wayne and, uncle Arthur, Paul Lind, and just thought it was hilarious. And I'd be like a little kid doing these weird voices. And then when I started watching Saturday night live, I would try to do all the voices that people on Saturday night live would do. So, you know, I was trying to do all the presidents. I've always done all the presidents. Uh, I've always done, you know, different celebrity voices and stuff like that. But it was a thing that I just, it was kind of my thing as a kid. Like I would do that. Like I remember when I was in seventh grade, I was obsessed with Dukes of Hazard to the point where like my, um, my seventh grade, um, yearbook only had, um, two Roscoe in everything because <laughs> I was doing Roscoe impressions all the time because I thought it was so funny because it was the biggest show on TV at the time. So, so dumb. 
Well, on that, like, when you realize you can do these and that you want to do these, like, you're obviously inspired by other impressionists that came before you. Like, oh, if they... Like, I'm the same way when it came to entertainment and acting. Like, my friend, uh, Kenneth Reed, Ken Reed, who hosts the TV Guidance Counselor podcast, one of the questions he often asks his guests is that, when did they realize that people made TV? And every time I listen to that question, I go, I can't remember a time where I don't remember that TV was made, that it was written and acted and people created right. it, you know? Like, maybe when I was a real little kid, I was just like, oh, Sesame Street is real. Um, you know, like Big Bird <laughs> is a bird, not a guy in a suit. Like maybe when I was really little, but very early age, I realized that this is all created by things. And I, and I always thought it was like, if they can create it and get paid for it, I can too, you know? Uh, so yeah. when did, what was it? So it's very similar to your situation where you're like, hey, I'm seeing these people who are doing it. I can do that too. I will tell you, this is a real, this is a real story. When I was three years old, mm-hmm. I broke our television. I knocked our TV off into the floor and the frame came off. And that became my favorite toy because I was on TV all the time. So from my, like, three years old, I knew I wanted to be on TV. I knew <laughs> I wanted to do that stuff. So I was always doing those kind of things, you know, like, instead of doing, you know, like, um, like uh, before the pandemic, I ran into Anthony Daniels at Star Wars Land, unbelievably. And uh, I told him, I was like, when I was a little kid, all the kids wanted to be Luke and Han. But I wanted to be C-3PO in East Texas because I could act it out and do the voice. And so, you know, so I was always doing that kind of stuff. And and from the get-go, I knew I wanted to be on, you know, I'd, I've always wanted to do Saturday Night Live. I've always wanted to do sketch comedy. I've always wanted to do that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's it's kind of been ingrained in my body, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, you know, you always see in media and TV as kids, like kids, you know, turning uh, refrigerator boxes into TVs or clubhouses or rocket ships and all that. And to be honest, uh, my family could never afford a new, new refrigerator. So I never had that option as a toy, but you know, with different similar things, uh, I tried also as much of my imagination as I could. And it's great that, you know, we as entertainers can literally now use what we as a kid imagination to create the worlds that we do, especially in improv and sketch what you, what you're doing. Like I'm more stand up. I like that so much more. I don't mind acting, but you know, I, I'm not going to do Shakespeare. You're going to get Dennis, you know, you're going to get all of Dennis, uh, in your, in your acting. And that's really what you're going to get, you know, not too much character. But, work. but the thing about it is that's, that's a, that's a big, that's something people want. People don't do. There's not as much Shakespeare on there. There's more guys like you on there. So I wouldn't shoot yourself in the foot with that. I would be like, Hey, you know, I'm going to, this is me. The people that can sell themselves. That's the thing that's always been my problem is, I am so generic and, uh, but I can be all these other people. And so, uh, so like, but the people that are specific and are just themselves work a lot. So don't, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Use that as an asset. I'll counter that with, uh, I do, I, w- I was doing a lot of background work here in new England. Uh, and one of the problems that I had with a lot of background work is that, and I'm fine with background work. It's like, it's so easy. It's like what, what? $27 an hour. You know, two free meals. All you have to do is not look at the camera and not fall down. It's very easy work and I'm okay with it. But the problem that we had, which I got a lot of feedback from casting agents is that I'm not like you where I'm generic looking. I'm very like my stance, my height, my face, you know, being shaved head, you know, just even my personal style is very unique and it's much more suited to, you know, more supporting roles. So it's like 
they have to try and find supporting roles for me, but also at the same time, let's be honest, I'm ugly. So it's like, it's hard to put me in a supporting role. You're like, when somebody looks at him goes, Ugh. No. <laughs> well, first of all, that's not true. But second of all, you know, there's always going to be people, you know, there's always people that are needed. There's always people that are needed. And like, I, I, I think you're more castable than I am. Yeah. But not for background, but not for background. That's the difference in that scenario, in my opinion, or in the experience. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, background's fine, but you know, um, background is fine. Background is fine. And, but everybody wants to be foreground, you know, unless you're just going to be background forever. So, you know, just just shoot for the stars and be a supporting person and then be nice to the background people because you can go, yeah, hey, I was one of you at one point. Uh, well, on that, uh, so what I've always wondered when it comes to like people who do impressions is, you know, like me as a comedian, I can go out and just do stand up and keep practicing, getting better at it. You know, sketch, you keep writing sketches and you just keep performing them for an impressionist. How do you practice it? Do you just it, do you have to go out in front of people? Do you? record yourself is it mirror work like with magicians and stuff like that how do you practice and do accurate rep- representations of people well you know and a lot of people do a lot of i know a lot of impressionists that are stand-ups i'm not a big stand-up person i can do stand-up but i don't like being on stage by myself as much uh but um like in, when i was doing sketch comedy every week we would take the people in the news and you know i would be doing all kinds of different people that I'd never done before or, or given the task of, Hey, learn this impression for this show this week. And so, but it is about um, like my three rules of this is like when I do an improv an impressions workshop, these are my three rules of doing impressions. Uh, it's who do you look like? Who do you sound like? Who do you like? If you look like somebody, the moment you walk on stage, people are going to go, Oh my God, that's Brad Pitt. That's my problem. I have that problem all the time. <laughs> But no, but if you look like somebody, people are automatically going to jump to that. So you can add stuff in your vocal stuff and stuff like that with it. And people are more apt to buy it. If you sound exactly like somebody like, like, let's take Frank Caliendo, very, one of the most amazing impressionists, but he's a short round guy. And so like when he does Kramer and stuff like that, you're like, "Eh," but he sounds so much like him. You're like, okay, I got that. I got that. So if you sound exactly like somebody, then you just find all the lines and the things you need and write in that voice that you do it. And then the third one is who do you like? So let's look at, uh, let's use uh, uh, George H.W. Bush, for example. Dana Carvey was given the task of coming up with a character for, for George Bush. And it wasn't George Bush. It was kind of shades of george bush you knew what he looked like you knew what he sounded like you had his glasses you knew what he said and then you paint all that together and you come up with a character that's an impression i did that with sully sullenberger i uh i had this somebody in my class who's writing on a family guy right now uh she wrote uh, somebody who was in my uh, show top story weekly she's working on family guy now and she wrote a sketch about sully where Captain Sully Sullenberger, instead of being the gracious, sweet, kind-hearted man he is, he was kind of pompous and arrogant about <laughs> being that guy. And so not he had this whole thing, like if he saw a fireman, and he goes, oh, you saved like six people from a building? That's great. But did you save 155 people's lives by crash landing a plane on the Hudson River? I don't think so. What the <laughs> H, man? And he never cussed. He always just said letters. 
So it was so, you know, I saw this girl and he always, he would always go to the Olive Garden for free. He was always dating, um, like older ladies, celebrities. So it'd be like, I was at the Olive G with Delta B the other day. And it was just so stupid. It was just like dumb stuff, but it was a great character and it came from all of those tools. So I put on a, a white wig and a mustache. And so people saw, and I had enough stuff painted in there of the character that people knew who I was playing. And it made this well-rounded character that our sketch show, the audience loved so much. We did it a lot. So it was kind of like our Fonzie for a little while. <laughs> so it was really cool. <laughs> By the way, I always say I always love a good Delta Burke uh, reference. Yeah, I know I it's, it. she's been lost to the adults of time, but I always love a good Delta Burke reference because I wa- grew up watching Designing Women, oh, and yeah. I might like it because Annie Potts was my first celebrity crush. So I think any reference to what Annie Potts has been a part well, of uh, always resonates home for and me. And it generally was, in all honesty, not joking, it generally was that Sully was either out with Annie Potts or Delta Burke. It was like every single time, you know, it was that, and it was always the Olive Garden. He got, he got a free, he got a free card to go to any Olive Garden he wanted to. So he was always going to the Olive Garden in Sherman Oaks. Well, as performers, we always have to, you know, obviously figure out some way until we start making money in the art that we're doing. We have to figure out how to make money somehow and be able to do our art. You know, I always say it's like, the show is about the things we do during the day to support the things we want to do at night. Yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's very hard to do improv in the middle of the afternoon. Right. <laughs> like nobody at their job wants to see improv. I always tell my friends, if you want to stay, you have to play. And that's the way it is. You know, if you, if you're going to show up out here and say, well, I'm going to be a, a star in six months, you know, if it works out great. But after that six months, you're like, all right, I have to get a job. So yeah, that's a, that's a real weird, that's a that that's a really interesting place to be in, uh, but I have a very unusual job. Yeah, and that's what I was getting to is that you're. Uh, and I was wondering. I know you do TV news, or at least you used to. I'm not sure where yeah. you're at with it right now. But was that a thing that you started in Texas and took to LA? So I always wanted to be on TV, and so when I was in college, I got a radio television degree and with a interdisciplinary in theater and speech and stuff like that. And so I was never Which, by like, the way, I do want to point out, uh, I was looking at your LinkedIn and your education says a BS in radio and television, yeah. and, uh, which we know is bachelor of science. But when you see BS in radio and television, I think we both know that our degrees are, cause I have a d- radio and TV degree. We both know that our degrees are bullshit. So. Well, I don't know about that because I got a job <laughs> right out of college. So I Fair enough. Yes. I, I mean, I also that. got the job in radio while I was still in college. So yes, <laughs> but I think we both know as, as performers to see a no, BS in front of our job. But, but no, but I, 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 I do, I do understand that. Yeah. It was an interesting, it was interesting. I was at East Texas state university, so it could not even, it could not have been even more BS than that, but I will say this. But so when I got my, uh, a friend of mine was working at a TV station in a small town in Texas. And I went to, um, to an interview. They had a, they had a job there. And I went to interview. And when I went to this interview, and it was a small town, it was a little place. And at the time, electronic news gathering was what was something that was a, a, a big acronym that we would do called ENG is what it was called. And I literally went to this, uh, this uh, basically audition, but uh, job interview. 
and said, man, I am so interested in ENG. I really think my future is in television and blah, blah, blah. And I did not get that job in the least. I was like, (laughs) it was bad. I was wearing a suit. I was just like nothing. So the same guy got a job at a major market television station in Dallas. And he said, hey, there's a weather producer gig open. You know, you should come audition for this. And I was, or you should come interview for this. And I said, well, I'm not going to get this job. So I went there uh, dressed okay, wearing a goofy like Warner Brothers or Disney tie or something like that. And I think it was a, it was actually an Aladdin tie. That's what I had on. I wore an Aladdin <laughs> tie to this interview because I wasn't going to get it. And I met this famous weather guy named Troy Dungan, who was like a, a very, um, he was like a local celebrity in Texas. And so uh, we went, I met him and he goes, oh, I love your tie. And he had, so- he always wore a bow tie and he had socks with bow ties on it. And I was like, oh, those socks are great. And so I was goofy. All- I was being goofy, doing impressions, doing stuff like that. And then at the end of the day, they were like, you, you made a really good impression. And I was like, What? And so uh, I didn't have a job. And so I asked, I said, can I just come here and learn how to do stuff? I know I'm not going to get the job, but can I just come and, you know, check stuff out a couple of days a week, kind of sort of an unofficial internship. And so they let me do that. So like, uh, like, so like, I think that was in February and April 1st, uh, many years ago, I got hired to do this job. And it was before I even got out of college. So my mom was like, please finish your degree. And so they let me finish my, they hired me and I trained for three months and then, um, and then I finished school and then went on full time. And so I was doing live TV, uh, weather, like on the news set, um, three newscasts a day for 10 years in Dallas. And, uh, that really gave me a lot of sense of, how to work production, how to be on camera, how to be around the camera and stuff like that. So when I moved out to LA, I immediately called uh, the ABC affiliate out here. And there was a, there are two weather guys in in, uh, LA, a guy named Johnny Mountain and a guy named Dallas Rains. And I interviewed to be work with a guy named Johnny Mountain and Johnny Mountain was struggling with a, uh, a radar map. He couldn't figure out how to do this. And I said, oh, let me do it. And I went click, click on the keyboard. And he turned to the news director and said, when does he start? And so, so <laughs> I literally got that job and then uh, left for a little while, did radio, and then came back to Channel 7. And I, now I work with the amazing weatherman to the stars, Dallas Rains. And he is the, he is the most excited person in the world about weather. He loves weather. He is excited about everything about weather. And um, when I auditioned for SNL, I literally did a character based on Dallas named Houston Storms. And I wasn't working with (laughs) Dallas at the time. I was working with Johnny Mountain. And so my last day there, when I first left the TV station before I came back, I told Dallas that I had done that. You know, I'm sitting there on the the, uh, home base in 8H at 30 Rock doing at 11 so it was hilarious and so uh he loved it and so to the point when i started working with him in the afternoons uh in the last six or seven years 
uh, I would call the makeup artist. When the makeup artist would call to have Dallas do his makeup, I'd go, hey, Bobby, it's me, Dallas. <laughs> and she'd go, you, I'm ready for you. All right, I'll be right there. And then she would get so mad because she couldn't tell whether it was me or Dallas <laughs> doing the voices. So, But yeah, TV has been really good to me, and I've been doing it through the pandemic. And uh, I still work from home. I think we're going to start going back pretty soon, but but I still work from home doing the weather. So it's really crazy. Was there a big, uh, was it a big transition for you to try and work from home? Or you're like, hey, I'm good at tech. I'm good at this stuff. This is an easy peasy situation. The biggest thing that we had issue with was trying to figure out when the weather people were doing it from their house. So like I would have to do a lot of work with them to like, uh, like one, one girl happened to be pregnant. So the whole, um, team from engineering went out there and she had a big room in her house and they literally made her a green screen and lit it and everything like that. And so like to this day, she is still on, uh, at home, but it doesn't look like it at all. It looks like she is, it literally looks like she's in the studio. You can't even tell. Oh, that's great. She's the girl that um, a few months ago, her son walked into the chroma key while she was trying to do the weather and it went viral. It went mega viral. So, uh, so yeah, so Leslie Lopez, but when Dallas Rains was doing it, they were doing it where he'd have a, like he would just use his TV in his living room with the logo in it. Okay. And then they would cut to the weather graphics full screen. And he hated that. He likes to be involved in the, the graphics and the the stuff and he really wants to be, you know, in there with it. And so he hated, but, um, but my end was really simple because all I did was I had an actual mirror of what the computer was. So it's like, I'm sitting in the weather center and I'm doing everything I would be doing at home at work at home. So it's really weird. Like I can even control the live TV from my living room, which is so weird. Oh, there is, when I was in radio, I did a lot of time as an engineer doing like remote broadcasts, studio emergencies, you know, off-air emergencies, stuff like that, studio builds. And years ago, before I moved here, I moved here to Boston nine years ago. When I was in Baltimore in DC, I could actually run all of our stations from my iPhone. Now think of how iPhone, the condition that iPhones were in 10, 12 years ago. And I could run all of our stations from that wow. device because they had the, the technology put in and now we're just so far advanced of that. And it blows my mind during this pandemic, how many stations, radio, TV were completely techno technologically unprepared for this. Like my friends back at the big, huge rock station in Baltimore, I don't know why I'm being coy. There's only one rock station in Baltimore. It's an idiot rock. And they'll agree <laughs> with me that during the year and a half that they had to do the morning show from home, there was nonstop tech issues almost every day for them. And it's like, how have your, in a, this, None of this fault is on Justin or Scott or Spiegel. All of this fault comes strictly on their engineering stuff. It's like, how are you a year and a half into this and you're still having the same problems you were having when all this started? Blows my mind. But I will also say that uh, I do love the, the all the names that we just said. I do love those those uh, punny uh, broadcaster names. Uh, it's great. Like I worked mostly in traffic uh, for on-air stuff. That's what it brought me up here to Boston. But in D.C., our head of traffic down in D.C., Every different station he was on, he would have a different name based on the format. And the only one I can remember off the top of my head is for the country stations. Uh, Ron Balsarek was his real name, but on the country station, he was West Montana. Nice. And I love that. Well, here's the, thing so that, here's the thing that's going to blow your mind. 
the weather people I work with, Dallas Rains and Johnny Mountain, those are their real names. Those are absolutely real names. Yeah. Oh, I, I believe it because sometimes you just have that, that great name and it almost is serendipitous that you go into that field. My favorite, my favorite thing about Johnny Mountain was, um, I don't know how big a 30 Rock fan you were, but um, when Jack Donaghy's girlfriend Avery was kidnapped by North Korea, they made them do um, a propaganda news network. And so it would be Avery uh, and another and another reporter on the news desk, and then they would throw to weather, and it was Kim Jong-il doing it, but it was uh, Margaret Cho, but they supered him <laughs> as Johnny Mountain. And here's Johnny Mountain with the weather. And it made me laugh so hard. And they did that joke like three times. And I was like, who is this joke even for? Like, (laughs) that's one of the best things is like when there's just like, I love that small little like joke. That's just, just for somebody, just for maybe one person, maybe two people. I love those, those, those jokes like that. Like that show, the mayor right now, somebody posted uh, a video from that show this past week. And they were making fun of the mall in Glendale on that show. <laughs> and they were like, I just mentioned Americana at brand. They're going to, they're going to roast me over at the Grove. And like, that was like <laughs> stuff they were saying on the show. And I was like, who gets this? <laughs> who gets this? It's like when I used to watch King of the Hill, I loved King of the Hill, but King of the Hill was so real to life to me that I was like, how are people getting this? Because I get this because I'm from East Texas, but how does somebody in, um, you know, California or New York get King of the Hill or Montana? It's, Cause it's so real or Alaska. Yeah. Anywhere that, and you know, Mike judge is brilliant and he brings so much of his own life into his characters, his animated characters. And even on his characters in, in the movies, he brings so much of himself and his experience in there that it's so inspiring to watch what he does. Yeah. Right before the pandemic, I was supposed to do a short film with his daughter. Oh, and it literally, I met her the week everything shut down to have a sit down. And we talked about her dad. And I got my agent in L.A. by writing a spec script for King of the Hill and performing it live where I did all the guys. Oh, nice. And that was how I got my first, uh, that was how I got my first agent in L.A. by doing that ridiculous bit. But it was killer and people loved it. And so, uh, so that was how I got my first agent in L.A. by doing Doing all of my King of the Hill voices. Oh, Hank, you're so good. <laughs> you know, the only reason they hired you because they thought you were an alien. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shoot, man. E.T. Oh, that is such a spot on Dale. I love it. And we're going to come back. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you a question about agents and managers. Uh, but before that, uh, I'm curious, since you're working in like a TV studio you know, prior to the pandemic, did you find working there helped your job is becoming more of a voiceover artist or an actor because you were in an area of a building that had all the equipment you need to record a voiceover, to record a, a self tape, to be able to connect with people like me working at a radio studio before I built my home studio. I was so fortunate to be able to walk into a studio, open a phone line, call, call a guest and record that conversation to be used for a podcast, to be used for my, my interview sections of dig boss and stuff like that. I was very fortunate to be, where I built this nice studio with spare parts that I stole from the radio studios. But 
Uh, right. I, I found myself for, so fortunate being in those areas. Were you able to help advance your career by taking advantage of the location of where you're working in? You know what? I will say this in reality. It was a great lesson to me in so many ways, like way to relate to people that work. You saw how the people that were jerks to the crew, how they were, um, how they were perceived by the crew when you are the crew. Uh, I also, uh, felt like that the, um, like, like I have a very breaking news form of comedy. So like a lot of my videos that I produced that went viral were things that I saw in the afternoon and produced overnight. Like, uh, there's a video, it's a parody of shallow <laughs> and it's Trump and Kim Jong-un. And, uh, we shot it literally 36 hours after the Oscar and it is shot for shot the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga uh, video at a theater uh, it looks amazing it's all done in one shot I got one of the the photogs from Channel 7 to come over and shoot it for me and it, there's no edits in it whatsoever and it is a great example of of something that happened Something and and like the thing that was so weird about it is like I a friend of mine is a producer for like uh, Katy Perry and different things like that. So he helped us record the song and made sure we sounded good. And so it sounds amazing, but it's like, and the guy that did uh, Kim Jong Un is a, a fantastic singer. His name's Brent Pope, and uh, Brent is a very great comedian, but he's also a really good singer. So instead of doing a ridiculous Kim Jong Kim Jong Un voice. He just sang beautifully, mm -hmm. and the people just loved it. They were like, "What is this?" So I was just bad as Trump in Trump voice, but it was just amazing, and it was fun. But yeah, that was my thing. Is I always have a breaking news mentality as far as that goes, and that's why I hated radio because I didn't feel like radio, like the radio that I worked in. I worked for the Premier Radio Network doing oh, um, well. There's the problems for the morning shows, <laughs> and so. Uh, so I was uh, part of that world, and uh, like I remember when uh, Tom and uh, Katie had the had Surrey, I said, "Oh, we should record something right now, so you have it in the morning." Oh, we'll record that tomorrow. We've already done everything for today, and I'm like, "What? Right. Let's just record something." And they were like, "Nah, we'll do it tomorrow." Yeah, I feel like Not that's more the oh, that that problem is more of the the oligarchy that is oligarchy, whatever that word is that I'm looking, that is the radio industry. That's why it's dying, which I I'm so saddened about because I will tell you like on that same thing of the like Trump and, and Kim Jong-un thing, my, uh, one of the morning shows I produced for in Baltimore on Z1043, Jackson blue shout out. Um, he's you know done so much for me. He calls me up and like, I'm working overnight into his morning show. That was my shift was coming at like 11 work through, we're coming at like 1 a.m. and work through until 10 a.m. at the end of the show. And he called me at like 3.30 in the morning. He's like, hey, did you watch the Charlie Sheen interview last night? I want to create a parody song using the quotes from that. Get working on that. I'm on my way. I'll be there early. I'll be there in like 30 minutes, you know, an hour earlier than normal, just so we can bang this out. And I was like, great. Quickly looked up the interview, started writing things down, started trying to create some, some lyrics from that. And we were talking like on the phone as he was driving, like, let's do... Like, um, you know, journey song or don't stop believing or something like that. It's like, all right. So we looked up the glee version. So we basically made this glee parody version of Charlie Sheen's quotes. And it's just something we did so fast and so quick. And I was like, this is best day. This was literally the best day of my entire life as radio was this morning. We did this thing. 
And the only thing that I wish is that we had more time to accurately yeah. produce it and more of a team. That was one of the things that we always had problems with is that we didn't have a support team. It was just me and him. And when I wasn't there, it was another guy. And it was just, just the three of us, only two at a time working on these things. And then of course, like, the day after that, like either that afternoon or the day after we did all that, having my best day in radio, I got fired from the restaurant I worked at. So I was super sad, but you know, everything good comes with 10, tenfold bad in my life. Absolutely. Well, that's the way it is for everybody. I will tell you this. This is an interesting one. So like, um, there was a, I always made reactionary videos. Like when, when, uh, uh, when, Oh, I can't. Now I'm now I'm imitating him. Uh, Rick Perry. When Rick Perry said, uh, "There's three things that I'm going to do. One is this. One is this, and the other thing." And so I called my friend who helped me write stuff. I said, "Just start writing. I'm working on hair and a wig to do this. We're going to do this tonight." He said, "What am I doing?" I said, "It doesn't matter. Just come up with three things, and the third one you can't think of." And so it was like, uh, "There are three Brady girls. There's Cindy and Jan." And the other one. So we did a video like that and it was it went viral. But the best one I ever did was we did one that was um th- this was like insane in the in the reactionary time period of it. At noon I saw a I saw a story, noon or one, I saw a story that said Sesame Street has layoffs on TMZ. So I was like, all right, this is a good, this is a good idea. I happen to have, I'd bought a Kermit puppet for a show. And so I said, I've got the Kermit puppet. I glued a piece of paper to his hand like he was reading and then put glasses on him where it looked like he was actually having reading glasses on and stuff like that was so stupid. And, uh, and he was answering questions about it. So I, I put the thing on and I and I, I put the puppet on and I put it up and I was like, shoot, my I, I'm I'm doing this in front of a green screen. And I said, you know what? I'm just gonna improvise it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, I'll go to work. So I did it and I left blanks like it was completely improvised. Like does anybody have any questions? And then I left a spot a pause and then I answered a question about same sex marriage for Bert and Ernie and I uh, answered another thing about something from Grover, and um, and then the last one was how many jobs are going to be laid off? Uh, will there be one, one job, <laughs> two, two jobs? And so that was the whole thing. And then he went and walked off. So anyway, so I quickly threw that together. I quickly threw it together, edited it. I had CNN graphics that I used from a debate. Threw that on there. Wrote Sesame Street layoffs on it. Um, did the three voiceovers for the other Muppets, uploaded to YouTube, and then grabbed the um, URL off YouTube, stuck it in my phone. And on the way home, I emailed uh, Jeannie Mose from CNN and said, hey, I saw this story today. Do you, If you want to use this, you can. And by the time I got to work at 2 o'clock, it was on... CNN on the on situ it was on Situation Room in less than four hours. Oh wow! Yeah, it was insane. See, and that's I think the difference between like why I was attracted to radio because to me it a brought my two loves together, which was music and comedy. 
Um, and when I would go on air, my rule was everything I say has to be one of two things. It has to be either a joke or it has to be informative. It has to be something about the artist, something about the news and stuff and going on that. And the reason I think I was drawn to radio is because it was a medium where you had to be both tech and talent. And growing up, not having right. people who are interested in doing the things that I was doing, you know, performing and, and te- you know, recording things and all this stuff and not having the resources because, you know, poor, poor upper, lower middle, poor lower middle class family from Baltimore County. We didn't have a lot of money. We couldn't buy, a, you know, in the 80s and 90s. You, you know, you grew up in the 50s, you know, which, by the way, when you told me you dropped the TV at, in, what, 1955, something like that. I'm like, oh, great. Then you're never going to have another TV for 20 years because they're so expensive. But same thing, like trying to get a VHS yeah, exactly. camera, camcorder or any type of camera to record something in the 90s was impossible when you're a, a poor family trying, you know, two parents working four jobs trying to keep your kids in school and stuff like that. So it was, I had to make do so much with what I could. And I just found out that you know, radio was, to me, a one-man uh format like that was the creative platform for you know starting out for all the people who would go out to be bigger um and you sound more like a collaborator and that's i think what tv is so many more people so many moving parts and you sound like you grew up more as someone who was easily drawn to collaborating and working with people and i think that's the difference between our two um you know histories of getting into the arts and stuff well i will say in all honesty there there's a little bit of both because uh, a lot of times i collaborate with people very well but a lot of times i'm like if nobody wants to do it i can just do it i i'm very much about you know let's just get it done and i also am not as precious about it because i we have a saying in tv is it's on its way to mars now nobody cares (laughs) so so like you know people can go oh that newscast was so horrible but really and truly in the grand scheme of things there's so many bloopers on tv nobody cares and that took me a long time to learn myself and now i'm so happy that i'm not such a perfectionist that i that i dwell and obsess over the product that has been made or if there was a mistake that was somehow made that i don't have to stress over it's like hey mistakes happen hey people goof up stuff like that and i would look at what really made me that way was i'd look at the people who would get so upset because a mistake was made. A mistake was made. I'm like, hey, hey, no one else is probably going to notice the mistake. Two, if they do, it's done and over with. It's happened. And I've been so much happy. There is an asshole in L.A. and I, I will say he's an asshole, 100. percent And I hope he hears this. <laughs> uh, he has a he has a Twitter feed that is dedicated to Channel Seven errors. <laughs> oh. And um and so like he has no clue what goes into making any graphics or anything like that. Like we get all of our graphics uh at like i'll get all my graphics at 2 30 um and then i have to have them on by 3 30 because the latest run of the of the weather comes out in. and always there are at least two eyes on we do five seven days and every seven day has an icon two lines of text two temperatures and maybe a holiday icon or a wind icon so you do that, you do five, seven times. You do five, seven times, and then you do that seven times, five times. So it's insane. Oh, geez. That's, my, my head is, I'm good at math, and my head is spinning from that math. So occasionally you'll say something like, you'll leave it, you'll leave a word off. <laughs> yeah. So you'll leave a, you'll leave it, you'll misspell something, or you'll add an N to SUNY, you know, to Sunny real quick when you're like cutting and pasting, or, or you'll, uh, you'll do something quickly. And this guy, 
relishes in putting up the um, mistakes on online. He loves it. And I was really bad for a while. And what ended up happening was I found out my eyesight was really bad and I got contacts and my, my errors went down about 90%. (laughs) So so when I, uh, when I ended up getting contacts, it made everything so much better because I could read things. But um, so anyway, but point is people love that. People love that stuff, but nobody gives a shit about it really and truly, but there are assholes everywhere that relish it for sure. Uh, By the way, I love that, uh, that, you know, that, you, I've always said, don't take the gift of perfect vision for granted. And I know now that you definitely are on that camp. It was like, hey, if I had perfect vision, I would have made all these mistakes. Hey, I can see now. Oh, great. I'm a better I'm better at my job now that I can see. Well, one thing that got me more so than anything else was when I was doing sketch, I would have to wear reading glasses. So I would like take off. I would uh, like if you watch Kimmel's behind the scenes this week when they were doing uh, when they were doing. Uh, when Kimmel was it, when Kimmel was on Fallon, and Fallon was on Kimmel, when they did thank you notes, Kimmel had to pull out his reading glasses because he couldn't read the the uh, words, and he was like, "Can you make these a little bigger for me so I can actually <laughs> read them?" And so anyway, so I would bigger, but still I'd need glasses. And so a few years ago, I I went to an eye doctor and said, "Is there any way I can get like a reading contact?" And they say, well, your your left eye needs this. But we could put the the reading in your right eye, right or your left contact. I was like, great. And so now, I look like a million bucks because I can read I can read the last line on a on a on a you know an aspirin bottle. So it's hilarious. So so if my contacts are out, all bets are off. I'm wearing I'm wearing Coke Charles Nelson Riley giant glasses, but. Uh, <laughs> But if I and then when I read it, I go, what's in this aspirin? Hello. <laughs> so, uh, Do you have to close the one eye since the reading glasses is in your one eye? No. Oh, okay. no, it's like, it's like I have supervision. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. So, uh, so I will never not wear contacts. I know they did like transit, not transition, but bi- they had like bifocal contacts uh, to where it's like, if you look down at the bottom of the contact, it's a reading lens. If you look up in the middle and higher, it's a regular Thing, but I don't do contacts. I can't touch my eye. Right. Mine, I don't need anything. I barely need anything for distance. So I just have a, uh, um, one in my right eye to kind of balance out. And the other one in my left eye is I'm kind of like the Terminator. I can, I can see forever now. So talking to you about voiceover work, cause obviously being an impersonator and being c- comedic, it's going to end up leading you to voiceover. One would assume, uh, right. A lot of people try to get in voiceover and what I hear from so many voiceover artists in interviews and ones that I know, like, you know, I know, you know, I worked with during the pandemic, I worked with Rob Paulson and his son, Ash, uh, oh, nice. with doing zoom things, uh, during the pandemic. And we have yet to get to hang out in person to see the three of us face to face because I mean, and that's a huge deal for me because I, I'm a huge fan of Rob Paulson. It's not like, Oh, I heard of this guy. No. Like when they asked, when flappers asked me to come, you know, work with them on their zoom show. I was just like, yes. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, yes, I would. Uh, sure. If you need me, but you know, the 13 year old boy in time was like, it's freaking picky in the brain. It's freaking Donatello. Exactly. Right. So hearing from him over and over and so many other voiceover artists, they all say, get into regular acting first. Then if voiceover 
presents itself, that's the best way to get into it is just go to acting. So is that what led you into voiceover? Was your already experience with acting or was it the impressions that you got you there? Well, like my voiceover stuff, when I first started, I got real lucky because my first gig in voiceover was as uh, uh, one of the most hated characters in all of Dragon Ball Z. Um, I was Android 19 on Dragon Ball Z and he's so hated. Uh, but, uh, it's a really fun, it's a really fun thing to have on your belt. And then I did some stuff for that company Funimation. I was, uh, Zenigata in Lupin. And then a lot of the stuff, a lot of the big characters were already taken. So I would just go in because I was so versatile and I would just, they would say, Oh, there's a, there's somebody over there. There's a shopkeep. And I'd go, oh, that looks a little bit like Jonathan Winters. And then I'd do like a weird Jonathan Winters type voice for that character on Dragon Ball Z or whatever. You know, I did a bunch of those kind of things, days like that. You know, they would have me come in and do some characters. And then I'd do a bunch of sub characters. But um, in L.A., the majority of the stuff I did was from Conan for Kimmel and for um, Corden. Those were the things that where I fell into it more so and that's because i knew some of the writers and some of the producers and some of the people like that so that helped but what i find in la it's real hard to break into voiceover period because you have you know your paulson's your philomars your uh um, you know um uh john dimaggio's all those people you know those guys all all are ahead of you you know hank is area so you know you're just waiting for to get into a project that you can do. But I I do voiceover auditions all the time. And I'm like, oh, yes, this is going to be great. And then, you know, you never hear anything. But, you know, I think it's just a, a numbers game. You know, one day it's going to, you know, one day it's going to hit. So the good thing is I still have, you know, I have all these voiceover gigs for Kimmel and Conan and stuff like that where they'll say, hey, can you do this impression? Or, hey, can you do this? One time I had to impersonate, I think it was Animal from uh the muppets and i'd already driven to work and they were like can you do it and i said well i've already left and they were like well could you do it for us and i was like because i'd already done kermit i'd already done ernie i'd already done um a couple of other characters on the muppets Grover. and so i said well i i tell you what i'll record it in my car and if i if i get it i'll go home and record it for real so i literally recorded it in my car on my iphone no mic, no nothing. And then they called me and said, uh, well, it's between you and, and Jimmy's brother. <laughs> and then in the end, they said, okay, you got it. I said, all right, I'll run home. And they were like, oh, no, we're, we're using that. I was like, so the one I book is the one I just recorded in my car in the parking lot at work? <laughs> so it's so weird. So weird. So you never know. But I'm very lucky in the sense that I get to do those a lot. I get to call, you know, they'll send me a, uh, um, a, a clip of somebody and I'll just redo their voice and that's generally what Kimmel is is like a lot of the actors that are on Kimmel are people that look like characters from a from a viral video or something like that you know or but for voices it's generally like some taped bit they want to put some new voice over so I'll do Trump for them like I'm one of the few people that have done an actual Trump on camera for them other than a back or like that they have one of the they have a production guy that's about his height about his body type and he does trump for them all the time like when he's naked and stuff like that they just get him to do it so thank god they don't call me for that <laughs> i remember uh very similar on, on the like the auditioning process like uh there was a i got 
they didn't tell me it was a Super Bowl commercial. I ended up finding out why watching the Super Bowl. I got asked to come in, like not open call, just like, hey, we want you to come audition for this super for this commercial. We need somebody to do a Boston accent, and I'm not an accent guy. I don't want to do a Boston accent. But they asked me, they wanted somebody funny that was more important. So I come in, and I do a terrible Boston accent. I riff around. I do jokes. I made the casting directors laugh so hard. They're like, we don't know what you're talking about. It's just funny, Dennis. We'll let you know. We'll get back to you. And I said to them, like, I don't know why we're putting up this charade of having me audition. We both know we're going to give this role to Tony V, who is, like, the longtime standing Boston comedian. Like, he did the... um, you know, the John Cusack, uh, you know, the, the summer movie with John Cusack and Demi Moore. He's basically like the number one. Him and Lenny Clark are the two biggest Boston comedians who get acting roles when they film here in New England. And I'm like, you're just going to give it to Tony V anyway. Uh, and, lo- and never hear back from it. Two months, three months later, watching the Super Bowl, this commercial starts up. And I'm like, oh, I know this commercial. I auditioned for this. And there is Tony V in the commercial doing the role that I did. And I'm like. I knew it. I, oh man, I could have been in a Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> and I'm glad you brought up uh, Dragon Ball Z because I was always curious about the anime thing because, with your experience of it, because when you listen, like Steve Bloom, uh, who did the voice of Wolverine in the X Men uh, animated series from the 90s, that he uh, would uh, talk about that's how he got into the business was like this unregulated, you know, ununion anime work and you hear a lot of stories of voiceover artists who started in anime and it sounded like it was just terrible low pay bad conditions stuff like that maybe this was all before sag really got into it but was that your experience working in anime working in anime early in your career where it's just like a slog and really tough to deal with well i think it was it was but it wasn't because we didn't know anything we were not bright, you know, we were just, I was just a kid, you know, right out of college and we'd get paid, uh, an hourly rate that was like double what I was getting paid at the TV station, which was nothing compared if it was a real voiceover audition, you know, um, I think, I think we started off at like 35 bucks an hour, which is, you know, when you're, when you're just a, a dork, you think, oh man, this is great, but you don't know what's happening. But I'll never forget all of the uh, anime guys like went on strike, sort of. And um, they were like, we're not doing this video unless you pay us for it. And so they all negotiated that we all get paid such and such money. If you want this video game, you're going to give us this much money. And it was a pretty good sum of money. It wasn't a huge sum of money, but it was like yeah. rent for the month and like $1,500 or something like that. I remember something in that world. Um, and they would, and you had to get us there. That was what their other thing. They said, you have to get us there and you have to pay us this money and then we'll do this video. You know, whoever was out of town, stuff like that. So that was a thing. And so <laughs> Goku and, and Vegeta and all these people did days and days and days of, of stuff. And then my character, Android 19, was so hated, he was always on all the video games. But he was like a hidden character. So so I would go in there and I would go, You were not the human we see. I will identify him. <laughs> You'll never catch me. 
I'm gonna steal all your energy. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> okay, thanks. See y'all next time. <laughs> that would be it. That would literally be it. I'd be there 15 minutes and I'd go, is there anything else I can do since I'm here? Nope, you're all good. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to go see my mom now. <laughs> so, so that happened once that they flew me in. And the next time they did a game that I was involved in, they did it. They didn't spring first flying me in. They got a, a studio out here. But that was the one where I met Norm McDonald. So, you know, it worked out. But, uh, but yeah, same deal. Very, very short amount of stuff. Not a lot of, uh, not a lot of uh, lines. And I was finished. So. Oh, man, now I'm dying to hear Norm MacDonald do a character in, uh, in Pokemon where it's like, uh, you know, well, uh, you, yeah, Pikachu here, you with the electricity and everything. Ah, <laughs> <Anyway. laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, want these Dragon Balls? Yeah. Uh, and the final question I'll ask you is because this is a, a medium that I'm going to have zero to no experience with personally. So I'm curious about those who are on it. And I assume you're doing well because, uh, well, at least on it, um, is Cameo. So obviously, no, I don't. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess I could go like, "Hey, get a funny video from me." Ah, uh, nobody. Yeah, I, I was on the background of a Castle Rock show where you can see my ear. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's the uh, what is a cameo? How did you, like you talked about how your agent led you into um, Clubhouse? Was that a similar situation getting a cameo? Was it something you heard about and you're like, "Let me check this avenue." Um, and what's, there's a couple other versions of cameo, different competitors out there. What did, what made you decide on that platform as opposed to the others? And what has been your experience with getting into it? Well, I'm on some of the others as well, but, um, cameo came to me and asked me to do it as the other ones did. They all came to me and asked me and, um, but cameo was the first and I believe somebody I was working with mentioned that I did Trump. And uh, so Cameo, one of the heads at Cameo reached out to me and asked me if I would do it. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so I, I signed up. I did the, uh, I did the stuff. And uh, I, I started doing a few. And in the beginning, it was like, it was before Trump had become the president at the time, I believe, was when I started doing it. And, uh, or maybe it shortly became the president, but anyway, point is it was, it was steady in the sense of you would do a couple of weeks or something like that, but, uh, it was not something that was, you know, I, I used to look at it as if it was my, um, like I had a, a personal trainer and I said, all right, cameo will pay for my personal trainer. And so, uh, so I was like, all right, that'll be, that'll be that. Well, lo and behold, I, uh, when the pandemic hit, I started getting them all the time. Like there was one day I got 27 in a day Trump request and it was insane. And so like during the pandemic, I did a lot. I did a lot. I was doing that every single day of the week. It was crazy. And so uh, it is died down now, but I still do them regularly. 
you know, at least a few a week. But it is the strangest gig I've ever done. And, you know, if you have a, a very specific, you know, if you are a character or you are a personality that can sustain that kind of thing, I would tell everybody to jump on it because it's it's great. And the thing for me that's annoying is like if I was like I, Dave Foley's on there as well and he's brilliant. But like I, I watched one of Dave Foley and he was at an airport and he was like, hey, just got this cameo. Your birthday's tomorrow. I'm going to be out of town. But I just want to say happy birthday, blah, blah, blah. And so I can't do that because when I do it, I fully dress up like Trump. Um, I, uh, completely, you know, I do like four minutes of Trump, uh, and, uh, at least between three and four minutes, let's put it that way. And so people get their money's worth when they get a cameo from me, but, uh, yeah, it's really fascinating. It's a fascinating side hustle for sure. Well, and I know I said that was going to be a final question, but this is the last one. Cause I, I know a lot of artists do listen to this or aspiring artists and things. And this is a question that's always so tough to, to answer. And. You had mentioned you had managing. You mentioned that you have uh, uh, representation, and, and I'm always very curious about the people who have that. And obviously, it's a very it's a very walked over question. Walked over. It's a very pedestrian question of like, how did you get an agent or manager? But I'm more curious is what was your experience with getting them? Because usually you'll hear somebody will get one, their first one, and it'll always be a terrible experience, and then they'll have to get another one and find that right one and realize that, Hey, I need to advocate for myself and I need somebody who's going to advocate for me. And this guy or gal or person is just not it. And they'll find the one they love or very few percent find the one that is their match for the rest of their career. Was your experience when first getting agents and managers a positive experience or did you have a negative experience? You know what? I've had all experiences because you know, you go through different people and stuff like that. Sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes they're like, you know, there was a period of time when, um, you know, where just wasn't clicking and I wasn't clicking with the person. And so we, we parted ways and stuff like that. So it's always a thing of like, you know, not sure, you know, it's always a thing of like just time period. And it always kind of takes time. Like one time I had the perfect, I had the perfect manager. I really liked her a lot, but she was having a real trouble because of, you know, different, you know, different things in the world and different casting options and stuff like that. Diversity, you know, the white guy wasn't getting a lot of work. And she said, I feel like I can't get you any work. So, you know, we just need to part ways and I'm, I'm changing stuff. So, you know, it's, it's all, all the things you, but you don't want to have somebody that doesn't believe in you or lies to you. That's one thing I've had before as well. And that's not good. That's not good. But right now I have the best, I have all the best folks working for me right now. I'm I'm with a, a company called Vox for voiceover, and they're the top top of the heap. Really great, and I love working with them. Uh, my manager at Centera, Jess, is one as a person who like is very much hands on with my career and is jokey and is very much like uh, like I've never had a I've never had an agent or a manager go to your headshot session and make sure you're getting what you want. And she did. And I was like, oh my God, this is great. So I'm very lucky in that sense. But, you know, um, an agent is part of the job. Um, the whole thing is your career. Like I have been in a position where I was like, well, I'm now waiting for work now that I've got an agent. 
And that's just not how it works. You got to get out there. You got to meet people. You got to try to do your own things and you got to try to work and do other things that make you vocal and make you, um, you know, out there, whether it's social media, clubhouse, anything you, they can't sell something. And if you're not doing something and I always say, it's like, um, like people that were in the groundlings program, which is one of the best improv training ever. But if you just do the groundlings classes and you don't do anything between, it's like you're acting in a closet because you can say you have groundlings, but what are you doing? What, what are you, where are you out there? What are you out there performing in? What, what area are you with? And so, you know, it's a weird, it's a weird deal. It really is. And it's, it's a strange, it's a strange time, but you know what? You gotta, you gotta take care of yourself because if you think it's going to be a situation where you are, you're in charge. That's not going to happen. So I hope that answers it. <laughs> no, know? that does. I mean, I want to hear people's personal experiences with things. And that's what I tried to get them to talk about. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it is in your own hands. If you think you have an agent and that's the end of it, that's not it. You know, until you're, but even when you're booking shows, even when you have your own TV show, you still got to look ahead. You still got to try to figure out what the next level is. So, you know, Excellent. Well, I appreciate you being so gracious with your time dealing with all the tech issues that we had. Um, hopefully when we can figure out better tech working, uh, we can do a word of the day together because uh, I've been wanting to get like Ryan Kilborn came on and did, you know, exactly what I wanted when we do the sentence of the day, he did it in a voice. And I w would love to have you do it in a character voice when we can get, make sure we get everything working properly. But again, awesome. so gracious the time, Phil. I'm glad we were able to, to get Oh my gosh, together. I would have done it anyway. I'm, I'm so glad that we actually got to work it out. And I'm sorry that we didn't get to do all the, the bells and whistles that, you know, that we're trying to. I, I, I didn't, I never have trouble doing stuff on my phone. And that's so weird. And I just plug in the roadcaster directly. And then when I had trouble with that, I tried it on my computer and my, um, you and, you and got us both um, Canon cameras, but we have not done any, any of, we have our podcast that we're going to do called Watch It or Not, but we haven't done any in a while. And so we haven't, I, I had turned the camera off. And so when I turned the camera back on, it wouldn't connect back to the computer. So I was like, I don't know what's happening. So anyway, yeah. it was just a, it was just a comedy of errors. But anyway, next oh. time we'll be more set to go and all that jazz. So I apologize for that. Now, do not apologize at all. Like the conversation, what's more important. And that's what the people I assume listen to my podcast for. Cause I don't think anyone's coming here to hear me and my voice. That sounds like a truck full of screaming babies crashing into a nitroglycerin factory, but they're here for the interesting people that I bring on. <laughs> Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of So What Do You Really Do? Before you get out of the app, I ask that you just leave a review on how much you liked the podcast. It'd go a long way to supporting me and all of my guests. And of course, if you want more Dead Air Dennis, you can check out my other podcast, Word of the Day with Comedians, where a comedian and I get together, we pick a word, and come up with the most absurd, craziest, funniest sentence we can using that new word in context. It's the funniest way to expand your vocabulary and is available on iTunes, Spotify, 
and as a video podcast on YouTube.